welcome to the Vulcan Hello, the Incomparables Star Trek Discovery Flashcast. I'm your host, Scott McNulty, and I am joined today by someone who loves Star Trek, but who has not been on the Flashcast yet. But we are fixing that in the next 30 minutes. Uh Uh-oh. Welcome Uh-oh. back to the Vulcan Hello, the Incomparables Star Trek. Ah, see what I'm doing there? Uh, Mr. David J. Lore joins me. You, you know, uh, in the last episode, you and I danced. <laughs> and, I, and I told you a secret. Oh, dear. <laughs> I, I, uh, of course, I, I have to uh, first say thank you to the Star Trek Discovery writers for including another creature with a difficult-to-pronounce name that uh, people will be angry when I mispronounce, but I'm pretty sure I pronounce Gormagander correctly. Someone send me a tweet if I did not, but uh, just <laughs> get that out of the way. Uh, Sounds right to me. (laughs) And the episode that we watch... Oh, oh, I should have looked up uh, the title of this episode before we started. Uh, But I did not. (laughs) Oh, I've already forgotten what it was. Uh, It was uh, kind of epic, but I don't remember what it was. Ah, here we are. Here we are. Magic to make the sanest man go go mad. That's the name. This is the (laughs) seventh episode of the first season of Star Trek Discovery. Before we jump into the details of this episode, though, Mr. Lore, I want to talk to you uh, briefly about kind of your overall feelings about Discovery, because we haven't we haven't had a chance to talk. So uh, what are you feeling about it? Well, I've, I've gone through a whole range of emotions. My Vulcan mentor would be very <laughs> uh, disappointed in me. Um, you know, right at the beginning, with the first two episodes... I, you know, I kind of liked where it was going, but then was a little wary because I kind of wanted more Michelle Yeoh and I wanted more of of that setup that they, you know, they they got two whole episodes before they ever got to anything about what the series was going to be about. So I was a little wary, uh, but I liked a lot of it. I really liked the characters. Um, Little, I'm not totally convinced by the uniforms, but eh, whatever. Um... But uh, but then, you know, the third episode, the fourth episode, I was kind of, eh, you know, again, I'm liking details. But uh, up until last week, and I mean, I've said this in Slack, I've said this on Twitter, uh, up until about last week, it felt to me like the overarching story uh, was was kind of like a Voyager episode and not necessarily a good Voyager episode. <laughs> And that we were still really only in the middle of Act 2, and I kind of wanted to get on with it so we could get to good episodes, mm-hmm. uh, or good stories. And uh, last week, now, even though CBS had some weird glitches with last week's episode when it was running live, uh, I did watch it again straight through. It It, it did add like a 30-minute time loop into that episode, which is kind of <laughs> crazy. Uh, I, I think I wound up to like 90 minutes, yeah. And... Um, but once I watched it all the way through, I really liked where they were going with Sarek, which I found very interesting. Um, and suddenly all of that made sense. And I liked how that nestled into what we already know of of our, our Trek history. And uh, then when I saw the preview for this week, I was like, ooh, now that's an episode I want to watch. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I will say, this is maybe the first episode that I have liked... Uh, all the way through all the elements, all the, um, just, just everything about it was like, yes, this, if, if all the things that I had reservations about got us to this episode, they were all worth it, except for the Klingons speaking in Klingon. (laughs) I do, uh, still think that the Klingons speak too much in Klingon. Uh, but but there are, there are no Klingons in this episode. It's interesting. I was watching this episode with Marisa and I turned to her and I said, it's as if as the writers were writing it, they realized, uh, partway through the first half of the season, it's really dark. Maybe we should, (laughs) should lit up a little bit. Uh, and they started with the last episode, uh, of kind of giving us last episode was, uh, you know, uh, heavy, but not morbid. Uh, and this episode you people, they die over and over again, uh, but it, it still has moments that are much more light, and we see the crew interacting with one another in a non-professional setting. Uh, we find out that the parties on the Discovery are far better than any other Star Trek parties we have ever seen. 
they they played the Bee Gees and Al Green. I mean, come on, I like that. I just I just made me think about if this was uh, TNG, they would be, would be at, you know yet another of Data's uh, stagings of a Shakespeare play or his recitals <laughs> or something, and you're like, oh, please, can't we do something other than this? Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I feel like they have not forgotten the the background, the Klingon War, all that stuff. But they are also they realize well we can't just harp on that and uh, we need some some backstory we need to have some fun some levity and this is a good old Star Trek trope right temporal loops man what I come to Star right? Trek for this is what I want I want I want temporal <laughs> loops and this so well and. I, I, I was thinking about it early on because, I mean, you know, very quickly I went, oh, they're playing with cause and effect because mm-hmm. it's a very similar time loop. And I mean, there, there are other time loop episodes, obviously, but just the ship getting destroyed over and over again uh, had that nice, strong cause and effect thing. But they did nice changes on it. Mm-hmm. I liked what they were doing. And I mean, I know that a lot of people have been saying, oh, this doesn't feel like Star Trek to me. Mm-hmm. I don't like this Star Trek because, you know, the captain isn't nice and it's not a big old happy crew doing their thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And while this episode kind of has all that, uh, this was the first one that truly felt like Star Trek to me because it was a good plot with good character work. Right. It had everything. Mm hmm. Yeah, this was, I think this, I said last episode was probably my favorite episode of Discovery to that point, and I think that this episode is now probably my favorite episode of Discovery to this point. Hopefully that's... I, I would agree on both, yes. I, I hope that's an indication that every subsequent episode will be my favorite. And I should mention, I feel like <laughs> Discovery, a thankless task, uh, well, I mean, the thank, thanking CBS is making an awful lot of money out of it, but uh, uh, as a show... And this is true of, you know, authors who've had great success. Anytime you have a new thing in something that people love so much, you kind of, you get, you don't get graded on a curve. You have to, you have to like really hit the ground running. And, right. uh, as I, I left, a, one of my friends on Facebook said, oh, I can't, I have to stop watching Discovery. It's no good. I think they watch maybe, uh, the third episode up to the third episode. Uh, oh. and they said, you know, this is like the worst Star Trek I've ever seen. I'm not going to watch it anymore. Uh, and so I left a little comment saying, I'm not sure if uh, after watching three episodes of the first three episodes of those of Star Trek series, I would continue watching it if I just just judge those three episodes. <laughs> I, I was going to say the first three episodes of almost all of them have not been um, good. <laughs> I, I said with the possible exception of the original series, because the original series yes. first season is the anomaly or the exception that proves the rule. Um <laughs> But that's enough of me convincing people that they should like Discovery. If you're listening to a podcast about Star Trek Discovery, you either like it or you're hate-watching it. And let me just <laughs> just say to you, if you're hate-watching it, there are better things you can do with your life. It's okay to stop watching it. Go watch something you like. Really, you're doing this doing this enjoyment. Don't watch something, something you like, even though it's Star Trek. If you don't like it and you, and you want to watch, just, just watch a Star Trek you like. It's okay. That's right. <laughs> uh, There's more than enough. Exactly. That's that's the beautiful thing, right? When people were upset about the the J.J. Abrams universe, uh, and they were like, it, it it you know breaks all these canons and things, and it's like, well, it didn't change any of the Star Trek you like, so just concentrate on what you like and don't worry about J.J. Abrams. Uh, <laughs> of course, but I also know one thing that nerds like to do is argue about nerdy things that they love so that's part of the enjoyment yes so i won't take that away from you but uh this episode though very good it starts off off uh uh oh wait memory alpha is telling me it doesn't start with a cold open Hmm. i did not realize that's right i was i i said that out loud it was like because you had the the previously on oh yeah and then it just goes goes black and it right right to the opening credits Mm -hmm. and and all of us were like wait a second that's weird we're supposed to have some kind of teaser man uh but we're we're at a party that's where it starts right the part no burnham is talking about how she uh is right it's her her personal log and she's talking about how how she feels like she is is kind of settling into the the routine there's a lot of interesting theme work here so this is kind of an episode that doesn't advance the arc of the Klingon war that they're telling, but it does kind of lay the groundwork for some themes that they've been playing with, uh, and for a theme that I don't want to talk too much about, because it could be a possible spoiler uh, for something that a lot of people think might be true, but if 
you don't know what it is, I don't want to say because you will be, it will be ruined. And I think that's vague enough <laughs> that I don't have to belabor it and worry that I've spoiled anything for anyone. Um, oh, oh, wait, you mean, you mean the thing where the, <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> And so she's talking about she she finally is kind of settling in as part of this this crew, right? Uh, and she has her purpose, um, but she's still apart, right? She is she is one of the crew, but she's right. also apart from the crew because she doesn't have a rank. Everybody, she's still Michael Burnham, Starfleet's first and only mutineer, apparently, which I still find hard to believe. But uh, so she is kind of you know of it, but apart from it. Uh, but then we get to see uh, the first... And, and and she wants to step out of her comfort zone. She does want to step out of her comfort zone, and that is uh, a, a thing that comes up again and again in this episode. Um, as as we live the same... So here's here's the deal. If you haven't seen this episode, you should watch it before you're listening to this, because the, the thing... Well, we've already ruined it. It's a temporal loop. They're, <laughs> they're going to live this next 30 minutes for what I think... 50, At least 53 yes, times. Yes, 53, 54 times. So uh, we get to, you know, and all the, the cool things that that means. Uh, and it's one of my favorite things where you have a time loop and you see basically they repeat the same scenes over and over again and then they start changing them and then rather dramatically as time goes on. Uh, and I enjoy, enjoy that. So this episode is really <laughs> right up my alley. Well, and the nice thing about this, uh, like I said, it, it compares nicely to cause and effect, which is a very good next generation episode. That's, that's one that I love. It, it has mm-hmm. the best cold opening of the show, maybe, um, where this one, uh, sort of takes that idea of, oh, we're going to have the temporal loop. Oh, we're going to keep destroying the ship and we're going to figure it out. But it also, uh, takes the groundhog day approach where you not only do you get to see Mm -hmm. them learning and figuring it out, but you also get to see how the repetitions and how the, the variations change and help them grow by the end of the episode and not, and not just our protagonist, but all of them grow a little bit, which is really nice. It's true. And I think this episode has a very satisfying ending that I didn't figure out until like, uh, 30 seconds before the reveal, which made me feel (laughs) once I figured it out and then they did what I thought they were going to do. I was like, ah, that's very satisfying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it, it takes cause and effect in Groundhog Day and grafts it onto the sting. Basically. (laughs) true. That's how it ends. It's a fake out. I mean, it's, just beautifully plotted. It is a very good episode. Uh, and so, so Michael Burnham is feeling part of the crew, not part of the crew. She wants to expand herself. She feels like maybe she was in a rut, you know, uh, and she's made this big, big uh, decision uh, in the first episode, what, the second episode that was horrible. So, um, and now she feels like maybe she can, you know, rectify herself. So you think, oh, maybe we'll, maybe this episode will be a rumination on Michael Burnham's personal journey to uh something but it's not uh she goes mm-hmm. she goes to a party uh she uh where everybody's uh, making out drinking playing beer and beer pong and drinking and all kinds of stuff um, um as you do at parties and, and listening to the Bee Gees. and listening to the beaches staying alive which is a lovely touch to keep coming back to as soon as the ship explodes <laughs> yes uh and she she uh our good friend tyler is there um but before we get that, Tilly, uh, my favorite possible character. Well, I like Tilly. I like Saru. See, the the characters are growing on me. Um, oh yeah, and I remember yeah. uh, the doctor's name now, which is uh, Doctor Culper. So <laughs> that's good. That's a, a, a point of favorite now that I know who he is, <laughs> which I did not <laughs> in pre- previous episodes. Uh, and so the, all all your are there. Well, really, Ashler, uh, Burdum, and Tilly, Tilly. And Burnham have a little chat where basically Burnham, Tilly's like, well, what's the deal with you and Tyler? And Burnham's like, there is no deal. We we're just colleagues. Um, but it is clear that there is a deal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then he, you know, Tyler stands up and makes a lovely speech and everybody claps. And then they get called up to the uh, the bridge because they have come across the space whale, uh, which I've already <laughs> forgotten 
I said it correctly at the beginning beginning of the but I forgot the the, the, the Glenfiddich <laughs> the no space, we'll the, just call it a space whale uh, well they call it a space whale too which they, was a nice touch they do and it, they uh, I do like that uh, you know they're at yellow alert Lurk is like who's hiding from us let's kill it and Saru <laughs> says mm, it's not a ship it's an endangered species and Lorca's first reaction is, hmm, that's nice, all right, let's leave. Uh, and Burnham says, mm, technically, Captain, under the Endangered Species Act, uh, we cannot leave. We need to transport it into our to a, a reserve, basically, so that it can... Uh, uh, you know, live out in its life happily. And, and, and an interesting, another thematic thing here, as we find out, is that is that Burnham struggles to make authentic human connection with people. And this 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 and this. But they were not. They are numbers are dwindling because they get so interested in harvesting their food from solar winds that they kind of forget to reproduce uh which i mean really that was my whole 20s <laughs> it happens so. to all of us you know for some of us it's harvesting uh <laughs> particles from solar winds for others there's it's could not go you know whatever your poison is uh lorca i think says that's the most depressing trait i've ever heard of uh and it is clear <laughs> i like lorca i know a lot of people don't like him because he is not kind of your typical Star Trek captain and he may in fact be evil uh, but I don't I don't think he's evil I think he's no he's, he's not nice um, but he is clearly so not interested in this space well <laughs> uh, which I enjoy because uh, he's like all right well let's do whatever we have to do uh, and, uh, and there's a scene I think maybe the second or third or third time this scene uh, Burnham uh, says, uh, told Burnham what's happening and she brings uh, Tyler up and he's like oh Burnham's like oh I really think I should lead point on this and Lorca's like I don't care do it and uh, Tyler's <laughs> like oh I think I should uh, lead security and uh, Lorca says I still don't still care, don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I like you Lorca uh, you're sassy that's right <laughs> I mean, this uh, again. He's he's not the you know the the typical Starfleet captain. Uh, he's not necessarily you know pure of heart and and all that. I like that he's conflicted. I like that he's not that. That's something that I'm I'm interested in seeing where they go with it. I don't think he's evil either. Uh, but in this one, uh, it was nice to get to see him be a little bit loose to to just sort of have fun with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't like Lorca, you should watch this episode because you get to see him die in a variety of ways. <laughs> uh, which, oh, Edge of Edge of Tomorrow too. Oh yes, which getting, is getting to see Tom Cruise get killed over and over again. Also quite appealing. That is true, and I will say I know this is not an Edge of Tomorrow podcast, uh, but that is a movie that I think is greatly underrated, because I think people, absolutely people don't like Tom Cruise. Uh, but Tom Cruise does, does a fantastic job in it. And, like you just said, if you don't like Tom Cruise, you could see him die over and over again. <laughs> uh, but it's very interesting, uh, and I'll get back to Star Trek, but uh, Tom Cruise's character in the very beginning of Edge of Tomorrow is very different than Tom Cruise's character at the end of Edge of Tomorrow, and I say kudos to yes. Tom Cruise for playing that very well. Enough of yes. Tom Cruise to talk. Uh, this, this has <laughs> been uh, your favorite uh, Vulcan Hello segment, Tom Cruise Talk. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> If he makes a cameo, it would be great. <laughs> we we should spin off into the Top Guns podcast and just talk about <laughs> movies that would be improved by Tom Cruise dying. Oh, oh. Just, <laughs> I like See? it. Uh, just uh, send that idea to Hollywood and just start spending money. <laughs> That's what I say. So, so Burnham, this, we have to get to the point that Burnham goes down to the, the space shuttle uh, area. <laughs> <laughs> this is why people who listen to this podcast are angry that I host a Star Trek podcast because <laughs> I forget the term shuttle craft, shuttle bay, uh, and call the it cargo the, bay. Yes, I call it the the space shuttle area. <laughs> uh, they beam the whale. Well, it will say the space whale does, does not look great, um, but yeah. it looks it looks fine. It just doesn't look great, but it doesn't it doesn't really matter. But he's excited. They're they're you know scanning it to see why it doesn't feel happy, uh, and out comes Ant Man. <laughs> Wait, is it really? Well, it opens up, yeah, and, and, and there's a dude, there's a guy, <laughs> and he and he's shooting. He kills a bunch of people. 
which I did not expect. Uh, and he's apparently already been there a few times. He has. And, and we find, so he kills a bunch of people. He, uh, Burnham, he does not kill. She calls up to the bridge and she says, there was a guy who came out of the space whale. He's killed a bunch of people. Uh, Lord says, you know, give me, uh, show me where this guy is. We, we cut to the guy walking around in, in a cool, it looks like a, a like an, a helmet for an Andorian. I'm not really sure what, what he's doing with that, but and he takes it off and we find out, oh, it's Harry Mudd and he's not happy, <laughs> uh, because Lorca left him on the Klingon ship. And, and he says something curious about, uh, I've, you know, I've got all the information I need, thanks to this time, uh, to gain control of your ship, basically. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, what? That doesn't no. make any sense. Uh, and well, we skipped over an important scene. Uh, oh, that's only important sorry. because, well, no, it's my fault. Uh, because so uh, Burnham and Ash uh, were going up to the bridge and they run into uh, literally oh, yes. <laughs> uh, Stamets yes. and uh, Culper. And, uh, you know, Burnham says, oh, sorry. And Stamets says, oh, don't, you don't need to apologize for accidents. This is how we make connections. He gives her a hug. Uh, and, you know, they, they chat for a little bit. And, and she has the best expression during the hug. <laughs> she she has some great just facial acting in this episode. She does. I will even I've said even before. more than usual. She's fantastic. I think like everybody. Yeah. I can't think of any yeah. character on this show that I don't like, which is good. Uh, mm-hmm. And I can't think of any actor that I think is not doing a good job. And so, uh, kudos to everybody there. Um, uh, yeah, and so she's, of course, she's clearly the standout. She's the main character, so she gets the most to do. Um, but Stamets also, I mean, I didn't like the, kind of the first version of Stamets that we met, who was kind of the the jerky engineer, uh, because I thought, well, you have a jerky captain, you can't really have a jerky engineer, (laughs) too. Uh, and now he has, of course, really changed since he has. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that bugged me the first the first week or two we had him and and now i see you kind of had ha- let me try that again you kind of had to have him be that extreme mm-hmm. to show the evolution and the change and and to enjoy it as much as we do by this episode right because they didn't have a lot of time to to they needed to set him up as a very right. strong character so they could change him dramatically and you would could appreciate the change because uh, right. if he was just like a normal guy, now he's just kind of like bubbly, and it's not really that big a difference. But he was like, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, and super jerk, and now now he's like engineer touchy feely. <laughs> so so uh, <laughs> groovy, yeah, everything is groovy, man. Uh, he's high on space mushrooms. I mean, he is. Uh, and there's a good scene where he, you know, he. A lot of people have complained that there aren't character moments in Discovery. This episode, I think was written just for those complaints <laughs> so he's basically like you know what's the deal with you two uh to to tyler and uh Burdum, and they're like uh, there is no deal and so it's a kind of a cute scene that doesn't when you see it for the first time you don't think well that's not you think that you know it's an important scene uh but then when right. it blows up uh, spoiler alert uh, and it happens again that scene is the first the first week is a change and so you think oh it is important um so it's hard it's 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 chekhov's what's the deal with you two <laughs> exactly the famous chekhov's what's the deal with you two <laughs> so harry mudd uh, is out for revenge he's taken over the ship no one knows how he's done it uh but he can't figure out how the sport drive works um and so the ship blows up basically. Uh, not just basically. It does, in fact, blow up. Uh, oh, because, no, this is, he blows himself up in this in this, this first version because he right. can't get what he wants, and they kind of trap him in an area, and he says, well, I'll try again. And you think, well, that's weird. It's weird. He blows up the ship, uh, and then we are, once again, to the, the strains of staying alive back in the party. And you think, wait a second. Is there something wrong with CBS All Access? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why they did that for the, for the last episode to to make you think uh twice about what's happening. Uh but no, it is clear to the seasoned Star Trek viewer that we have now entered into a temporal loop. Uh the characters don't know it. Every, everybody except for Stamets. Uh, uh if I had one complaint, I would say that the the second scene uh of the party they 
did it exactly the same as the first scene and they made it a little long, I would have cut it shorter. But uh, that's a minor complaint. Yes. Yes. And, and you know, the, the little uh, dip in the lighting. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you know, once we see it in that scene, you go, oh, that's what happened in the first one. Mm-hmm. And that's where the time loop is is tracking in. Exactly. Uh, and then the, this is they, they're called to the, to the bridge. Uh, and this is, this is where you think, oh, well, they're going to run into Stamets and Dr. Dr. Cole. But they do not. Uh, they get to the lift. And then and Stamets runs out and says, you know, we're... we're this has all happened before. Why doesn't anyone believe me? Uh, and Culver is running and, after him. And you're going to run into the space whale. Right. That's what he says to prove it. You're, you're, it all starts with the space whale. And they're like, you're crazy. You, you're, you know, you, you've, you've changed your <laughs> DNA. You, you've gone one too many spore drives. Um, <laughs> uh, basically, so he's right. Everybody kind of slowly figures it out. This happens a couple of times. And then we figure out uh, that Harry Mudd the culprit uh uh figure it out they tell us we figure out why he's the culprit though he uh he's angry at Lorca for leaving him with the Klingons fair enough uh but he also wants to sell the discovery to the Klingons uh which sounds like a very Harry Mud kind of thing to do uh and so let's talk about what do you think of Rain Wilson's Harcourt Fenton Mud I'm quite pleased and surprised i was dubious when they announced the casting mm-hmm. even though i mean rain wilson is lovely yeah. I, I think he does a gra- fine job in everything i've seen him in uh even in that uh fox procedural thing where he was the the uh, misanthropic uh brilliant police detective or oh. whatever uh which was not a great show but he did a great <laughs> job in it um but i was like you know, uh, I mean, they're placing it in the continuity. It should have at least some kind of plausible flow into what we've already seen and know. Um, and can he can he do that? Well, maybe. And so the episode a couple of weeks ago where we meet him on the prison ship, I was very pleased by, you know, he was getting getting a little of that, you know, extra <laughs> yes. vocal thing going on. And mm-hmm. it kind of worked. And he had the right coat. You're like, all right, that's Harry Mudd's coat. Mm-hmm. I know that's a minor detail. And, and it was dark, but it but it pleased me. And um, but this week, yes, he gets he gets to do the full Harcourt Fenton Mudd. Um, complete with glee and gloating and <laughs> shame and dejection when he loses and yes uh, yes and and just never in a million years if you had told me yes you're going to cast Rain Wilson as a young Roger Carmel no <laughs> no that there is no universe in which that works this is the universe in which it works. Yeah, I, I was with you. Uh, I did not. Uh, when they said Rain Wilson was going to be Harry Mudd, I thought, A, do we really need to know more about Harry Mudd? <laughs> uh, and B, Rain Wilson. <laughs> I mean, right? Dwight from The Office? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, but it makes total sense, having seen what he's done with it. And like I said uh, in, in the flashcast about the episode uh, where he, he kind of introduced uh he is just just, he's he's a modern harry Harry mud because you know if you watch Harry mud he's super over the top he was meant to be super over the top but he's 60s over the top which is like you know 500 times more over the top than uh you would see currently with over the top characters uh and so my worry was that the you know Ray wilson would try to do that and it would just come off as uh you know a bad impression of harry mudd but through some very wise choices on his part and directors actors i assume uh he did not do that so he he has the the speech of harry Harry mudd but in a a a more modern take uh much like i think you know when chris pine was cast as uh captain kirk i thought Eh, I don't oh, see yeah. it. Uh, I hope he's not going to do a William Shatner impersonation, and he doesn't. He has he is certain that character is Captain Kirk, but he is not William. He's not Chris Pine playing William Shatner playing Captain Kirk. He's Chris Pine right. playing Captain Kirk, uh, which I appreciate. 
So the, the, this we find out the episode uh, Harry Mudd wants to steal the uh, not the Enterprise the Discovery and sell it to Klingons. <laughs> uh, he would happily also steal the, the Enterprise. I'm sure, uh, the Enterprise is off some off somewhere doing things. Also, doesn't have a spore drive. So, but that's the thing, right? He knows right. he had to. We when we see him first, he's trying to figure out what what makes the Discovery special. Uh, when we see him the second time, he has figured out. It is the drive, but he doesn't know how to make it work, <laughs> um, which is interesting. Uh, and I think it's also this is, you know, much like cause and effect in cause and effect. Uh, data kind of figures it all out. Right. Um, is that's cause and effect with data f- with threes and data figures right. it out. Right. Right. OK, good. Uh, and this one step on step outside of the 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 time loop for whatever reason uh well because because he's changed his dna uh which i thought as i was watching this that's very clever that they did that to him because now he can do all kinds of weird things and they can have all kinds of weird things happen with samus it's an endless story opportunities um and endless ways that they could uh make a discovery never happen and canon be intact <laughs> so right everybody right. be calm um so Stamets is, is basically playing the data character, except that he has full memory of everything that's happened, and every time it starts over, over he has to convince everybody that he is not not in crazy, uh, that, <laughs> because nobody else. And, and I like, I like that it has the thirty minute clock running on each one, where you know that's barely enough time to do anything in just normal life, mm-hmm. and he has to convince everyone. <laughs> faster and faster and faster and you know like the first time where he says all right all right you don't believe me uh tell me something that you know no one else would know that that'll prove to you that i'm telling the truth and she whispers something to him uh and 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 the the one maybe it's the same one where he starts out by saying okay you think i'm crazy because of the spore drive thing uh, and she starts into this whole thing about how she's going to uh, take him yes. to sick bay, mm-hmm. and he starts just saying it exactly in time with her, and that's what stops her. And I, I liked that they were able to do a lot of shortcuts like that to say, okay, we don't have to take him to sick bay, we don't have to see her learn this way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were able to do montages and and just simple shortcuts, storytelling shortcuts. It's such a smartly written episode. Yes, it, it's it, the first truly smartly written episode, I think. Uh, I. I all, all the way through, and in that moment, that's, that's a moment when he she whispers the secret to him, and you don't know what it is, and he just, right. just there's kind of a little pause, and he just looks at her and says, "I'm sorry," uh, and I thought, well, that's and it's just it's just such a such a pure moment on his part too, mm-hmm. um, just a beautiful look, and in you know thinking in retrospect of when we do find out what that secret was, uh, it's just such a beautiful moment for him. Right, and so the secret is that she, uh, this Burnham tells him that she has never loved anyone, or she's never been in love, which is different than not right. loving people. She loves her family, but she's never been in in love, um, and uh, and that and that course colors the, the interaction that we have seen have seen her struggle with Ash Tyler here. She 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 likes him, but she doesn't really know you know if she likes him, likes him, or if he likes her, and it's all she doesn't know how to deal with it. She doesn't she can't do small talk, uh, and then once you hear that, it just kind of amplifies her struggle, right? Um, so even on that level, it's very clever. Um, so, you know, whoever wrote this episode, which I'm sure I could look up, but uh, good job, people that I'm not going to look up. <laughs> uh, and so he, yeah, he has to figure out, he figures out these shortcuts to convince people sooner and sooner. He also he also says, I tried try to Tyler about Harry Mudd because he, he was in uh, the Klingon prison ship with him, but he won't tell me anything. Uh, you should talk to him. And Burnham's like, why should I talk to him? And he says, well, you like him. And Burnham's like, how do you know that? And he's like, yeah, I know, you like him. Uh, and he likes you. And she's like, how do you know that? He's like, ah, I've, I've lived this a lot. Uh, so just just ask him. Uh, and so, you know, and then, you know, they figure there's that. And I really like the, uh, there's lots of uh, Harry Mudd gloating, uh, which I enjoy. Uh, I enjoyed Harry Mudd. Uh, there's also a moment he's, he's it is clear at toward this episode 
that Himad is just sick and tired of going through this over and over again. Uh, <laughs> I, I love the moment where, well, first he says, you know, uh, you don't know how many times I have killed you, Captain. And we get a very quick <laughs> montage of multiple ways. Uh, mm-hmm. But then at, at one point, you know, what, two thirds of the way through the episode, he's like, I never thought I would get tired <laughs> of gloating. Mm hmm. Yes, and and they're very clever because they also intersperse oh. kind of how Harry Mudd has has been doing the same things, you know, kind of observing the 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 cycle cycles discovery and kind of you know walking in the right way way goes when people are not going to be and tap the right screen at the right time uh because and tyler tells this so they do it by tyler you know uh burnham says well t- did he ever mention anything about some kind of you know uh, uh tem- time travel technology uh and tyler's like well not exactly but he did say that he broke it to a beta z bank by you know knowing all the routines and as he's explaining it we see um uh you know harry mudd doing the exact same thing on the discovery uh and i thought well that's very clever clever good job right if if you have an infinite number of attempts to do something you're going to master it. you are going to you know yeah know how to take over the computer know how to lock everybody out know how to uh pick up uh captain Lorca's death marbles from his man cave <laughs> you know, that that's a very disturbing phrase you just said i'm sorry <laughs> his death marbles from his man cave I don't want to know what that means. <laughs> well, uh, Harry Mudd calls uh, <laughs> Captain Lorca's secret uh, menagerie room his man cave, uh, which, which I chuckled when I heard that because I think man yeah. cave is a ridiculous phrase. Um, and then, we, and then we. Did I, two... I should say. Okay. I mean, even aside from the Bee Gees and Al Green showing up in this episode, this may be the first time uh, we've had the words man cave and. <laughs> pump up the volume uh in in star trek it's mm-hmm. it's delightful and a little uh uh um what is it au revoir mon capitaine yes which i thought was a lovely little easter egg mm-hmm. and i think i'm sure i did not pause it but there is this uh a, in, in the beginning burnham talks about how the discovery is kind of, is kind of the tide for the war uh and they show show uh captain lork arca look at a screen with a bunch of planet names on it and like the the forefront and i'm sure that uh, that, that screen is full of uh notable star trek locations but i did not pause it to oh see. i would hope so yeah um, but this is you know this is that's the other thing as watching this you know the the it's a high level of difficulty because we have all these star trek series and all this star trek knowledge 50 years of it uh but you know if you get people and they have who uh, writers and directors and you know prop makers who love Star Trek as much as the people who are watching it. Uh, they have this rich universe to play with and to put all this stuff into. Uh, and I think that luckily, so far, now I haven't. I've only seen up to this episode. They've done the thing where they've just, just overload it, and it just becomes kind of like this this pale echo. Like we're watching a pale echo of Star Trek. Like, hey, remember that thing you liked in Star Trek? Well, here it is in this new Star Trek. <laughs> They're not doing that. They're just you're sprinkling it here and there, which I appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, Harry Mudd still can't figure out how the spore drive works. Uh, and in a very, I thought, interesting and kind of human moment, uh, uh, Harry Mudd basically says, look, I'm just going to kill everybody. <laughs> you tell me how this thing works uh and he has these you know the death marbles that he kills somebody it looks very painful uh and stamets says okay i'm I'm just gonna tell you i can't watch you kill any more people i am the missing thing uh which makes of course harry mudd quite pleased um and uh but he has to restart again because he needs more time to figure it out and this is the point at which it becomes the sting basically right because now they've all figured out what and, oh well and then and before he does that we realize that he to uh hail all the klingons and the klingons are very close very close they're going to come and pick up the discovery so now we have 30 minutes 30 minute to to outsmart the con man uh and they do it in a very clever way uh, I thought at least uh, where they well they they pull the big store on him mm-hmm. right they they set it up to give him everything he wants they say every time we've run the simulations you win there's no way you know you're going to win so here you go 
the ship is yours, Captain Mud, you know, and Lorca gets up and just offers him the chair and, yep. and Burnham is like, I, and I, I'm yours too. And sell me to the Klingons and, you know, we will do whatever it takes to make sure that we all live. And that's fine. There yes. you go. And, then, and and he doesn't quite believe them until he does. That's right. And he believes them because Lorca basically says, well, he says exactly, I don't want a repeat of what happened to my last ship, uh, everybody dying. So I will do this. If you give me your word that you will let the crew survive, we will tell the Klingons everything. And you could see that moment when Harry Mudd is weighing that he doesn't really trust Rusta. Uh, but he says, I never look a gift captain in the mouth. He's like, you've got a deal. Uh, and it is clear. I mean, we know that there's something up here, uh, but it's also clear that Harry Mudd has no intentions of, uh, you know, holding to any of his agreements because uh, he's Harry Mudd. Uh, but we also see, you know, in the montage, this montage, this, things are slightly different. Uh, Ash does, Ash Tyler does something to the captain's chair. Uh, we don't really know why. Uh, and then, you know, Harry Mudd sends off his signal for the Klingons to come. He is one. Uh, he says, you know, the Klingons arrive. They want to beam over her. So the computer, you know, allow them to beam into the, beam into the portal room, but only I walk into the transporter room. So he takes Tyler and uh, uh, Burnham with him to go down to the transporter room. Oh, Stamets room. and Burnham. Oh, Stamets and Burnham. That's right. Uh, right. And uh, that is when their plan is revealed. And they explain to him that, uh, you know, he took over all the critical systems, uh, but he didn't take but over. But he didn't take over the archive. He, or, or the, you know, the, the captain's chair. Or the captain's chair. chair. <laughs> uh, and he says... Non, non-essential. Non-essential systems. He says, uh, you know, when someone asks him uh, in one of the iterations, why are you doing this? It's because, you know, the war has taken Stella from him, his beloved Stella. <laughs> uh, and so, so Stella's, uh, maybe Burnham does a little research and realizes Stella's alive. <laughs> She's fine. Yep. Uh, and her father is also alive. And in fact, her father has a reward out for one Harcourt Fenton Mud. <laughs> uh, but the, none of none of what Mud has done makes sense if he's trying to get to Stella. But if he's trying to run mm-hmm. away from her and the pe- everything falls into place. And this is at the point at which I realize Ah, the Klingons aren't aren't being bored, uh, but, but Stella, Ella, and Father are being bored. In fact, that is who beams aboard, um, because oh, this you know, uh, Mud thinks he's won, so he lets his little time bracelet disintegrate. Uh, because which I also thought was clever, like his time bracelet can only last for thirty minutes. So if he resets it before thirty minutes. It starts over, so he can you right. know, live in those thirty minutes forever. Uh, but the you know thirty minutes one second, it stops working. Uh, and so there you go. The the resolution. It's a very Star Trek resolution, right? He is reunited with his estranged <laughs> fiance, right? And uh, I do like the fact the fact that other is like I don't want to be indebted to Starfleet. Starfleet. Uh, who do I who do I write the check out to? <laughs> and they're just like. You don't owe us anything. Just make sure that he stays at Stella's side. That's right. And then, and that repairs, uh, that kind of feeds into the future that we know is uh, waiting for Harry Mudd. So uh, I feel like they did all right by Harry Mudd as a character in canon. <laughs> uh, and it ends with um, uh, Michael Burdum doing a personal log, talking about how, uh, you know, routine repetition, repetition, and change breeds and so she wants to push her limits and do things that make her on current couple and one assumes one of those things is uh is, is ash tyler is, exactly and they have a nice little scene <laughs> where you know they're in the trouble lift and they're uncomfortable and she says oh i heard uh, stab has told me we danced and uh tyler says oh he told me that too uh and then there's this awkward pause and she's like what are you what what's what's wrong and he said well i'm just sad that uh, we missed our first kiss and i thought well that's kind of sweet yeah. uh and i won't i will say no more uh and that's basically the end of the episode which which means when the twist comes and oh well anyway <laughs> no no i don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> about. Uh, so but overall i think i would say magic to make the sanest man go mad best star trek discovery episode to date absolutely top to bottom start to finish 
it's i mean plot is the thing that always gets me when when i'm watching this when i'm watching doctor who when i'm watching well anything um i want i like good character work don't get me wrong but i want the plot to hold together and i want the plot to surprise me if it surprises me that's a good sign and this one this one had enough surprises even though i could say you know it's cause and effect plus the sting plus groundhog day plus you know i could i could see all of the lego blocks they were using to build it but they did really nice things with those blocks mm-hmm. and they had characters that i haven't seen doing this right we haven't seen anyone like stamets before this is a really nice you know i'm I, I'm surprised at how much I enjoy his character now, based on how much I did not like him at the beginning. Uh, but that's that's a really nice evolution for him. And to have his character have to be the one who is trying to explain, you know, solve this and start the solution. That's great. You know, so all of the elements of the plot pleased me and all of the character uh, development was was a beautiful thing. This this also goes to show. I mean, this is longer than a broadcast network episode or a syndicated uh, episode, uh, and and that space not just not just you know building these characters and the basic storyline over five or six episodes already, but just the space for this episode to breathe made a huge difference. It didn't have to have thirty commercials in it, right? Uh-huh. Um, so you had you could have those little grace notes and those little moments of uh, Stamets's frustration with each new variation. It's like, oh, I have to do it faster. Okay, I have to do it faster. Um, which you know that's also kind of a I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's an in joke based on how they had to sort of compress plot to make things fit into the commercial breaks and, <laughs> and all for the original the other all the other series. Whereas this, they can they can have one that's fifty two minutes, or they can have one that's fifty eight minutes, or you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's a that's a nice freedom. Yeah, yeah, and that that gave them that extra time gives them you know. Let them in- include scenes like when Stamets is giving big, big, uh, giving Burnham relationship advice, and he seems like the worst person to get relationship advice from. But he is in a very nice, solid relationship. So, <laughs> and he tells how you know he and Doctor Culver really met is. for the first time. So, uh, and it's it's a oh, very sweet, that's scene. such a lovely story. Uh, and just yeah. just you know, here, let's dance. And then she's like, <laughs> <Yes>. "What? <laughs> okay." Will you let me lead? You know, I mean, just so many nice little moments in there. Mm-hmm. It's it's great. I mean, and, I, and I'm I'm just going to echo exactly what you, what you plot makes sense. I mean, it's a temporal loop loop plot, so, so obviously that <laughs> it's 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 silly, but it's an interesting sci-fi premise, and it makes sense the right. way they do it, it. It is internally consistent, which is important. Right, yes. it plays by its own rules, uh, and uh, we get to see how Mud does it. We get to see how Stamets figures it out, uh, and how he basically uses all his crewmates as tools to defeat Harry Mudd because one assumes he there's a line there where he says he goes to Burnham and says listen I can't stop him by myself so you assume like the first 10 15 times he he stopped Harry Mudd by elf and he failed and blew up um right I mean like what the second the second time we see anything happen it's just Stamets hiding and engineering shooting Harry Mudd <laughs> right. from within the containment field which you and know he goes, seems like oh, a good plan but that still didn't end it <laughs> Right. And I still haven't solved it. I just stopped him. Right. And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, eh, we'll talk about this again later. And the ship blows yeah. up. <laughs> and, and they're like, come on, come on. You got to fix it. And he's like, eh, next time. Yeah, we'll be fine. Uh, and I did like it. Which, which is also a nice WTF moment. You mm-hmm. know, that, I mean, that's that was the beauty of cause and effect originally was that, you know, the first what the teaser in the first two acts end with the Enterprise exploding. And you're like, wait a second. And this had. This did that, but then had even more of those little, you know, why is he doing that? Mm-hmm. Boom! You know, uh, very nice, very nice work. Yes. And I did like when after the, the nice scene where they're dancing, the discovery, because they use the half hour, basically, he uses the half hour basically to teach uh, Berta to be comfortable to dance with Tyler so she can then yes. go dance with him and get information out of him. Uh, uh, they hold hands and then the ship blows up. And I thought, oh, that's a nice little. Oh, that was such touch. a nice moment, too. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I uh, we're now we're just gushing about, about this. Soap, but uh, 
I will be interested to to read all of the reviews that will that will tell me how bad this episode was, and I will not believe them because I thought it was delightful. I thought. You know, everyone's kind of uh, belly aching about how this is not Star Trekky. Uh, I will point them to this episode because this <laughs> is a Star Trek Star Trek episode. <laughs> and and like I said, I mean, it, it was sort of flippant to say, but I do mean it. Everything in the previous episodes leads to this one. This one is a good episode on its own. If you just show up to it, and it's the only one you see, it's a good episode. But the the depth that we get from having this be like what episode six episode seven Seven. i think it's seven um the the depth of story and character we get to get to this point even though it is basically a standalone episode uh it just makes it so much richer except for the klingons i don't (laughs) i didn't need any of the klingon stuff cut the klingons but the rest of it, yes. I, I think a little Klingon. The, some of the Klingon stuff is interesting. They just spend t- too much time on it, and the Klingons talk too slowly, and they speak too much Klingon. Uh, but that there are no Klingons <laughs> in this episode. They are referenced, but uh, we do not see them. So uh, uh, Yes. Well, I will say, every, every episode of Vulcan Hello has led us to this episode of Vulcan Hello. Uh, <laughs> and I will let the listeners decide if this is the best one yet. Um but uh, David Lore, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, anytime. This was delightful. I when once once I started watching the episode, I think the first commercial break was was when my brain said, "I am so happy I get to talk about this one." <laughs> I, I was a little. I mean, I always enjoy always you, but having seen on Slack your reaction to the previous episodes of Discovery. <laughs> I was uh, hesitant, uh, but very interested to hear what you would say. But I'm glad that we got to talk about this episode because, yeah, you know, contrary yeah. to what people think, I prefer talking about good Star Trek episodes than making fun of bad Star Trek episodes. So I'm glad. Same here. I'm glad that we got a good one. Yes, and I mean, like, I mean, as I've said on Slack, I have liked a lot of elements of this show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it really is you know and i mock the klingon stuff i appreciate the authenticity but you know the overarching story has been a little slow for my taste but i like all of the elements i've liked all of the characters i you know i don't mind the captain i don't mind the the technology i i really like and i i don't even need an explanation for why this doesn't look like what we know of kirk and everything you know and and i know that the discovery novel kind of tries to tie in and explain that i don't need that it's okay that this is what trek looks like in 2017 that's fine just tell me good stories <laughs> and so so now with last week and this week they're telling me good stories and i'm happy well there you go and we just want you to be happy David. exactly that's all that's all we want every, every <laughs> wants you to be happy uh <laughs> Well, there we are. Now we're done. The temporal, my temporal bracelet has disintegrated, so we're out of the temporal loop. Thank you for joining me, and thank you for listening.